Well, good morning, GPC Church family. Last week, if you were with us, we saw in Scripture a word about evangelism from Acts chapter 8. And we're going to pick up this morning with a similar theme, and we're going to talk about conversion. Very important talk about conversion. Now, some of you have recently been students in mathematics and you have been working on conversions, conversions of units of measurements, whether it's fractions to decimals or Celsius to Fahrenheit or centimeters to inches, and those are some horrible conversions to deal with. But the Bible talks about conversions. It talks about the conversions of people. People converted from unbelief to belief. People converted from hostility to Christ to love for Christ. And this morning, many, most of you are familiar with this story, but perhaps some of you are not. Perhaps some of our children are not familiar with this story. Perhaps some of you are visiting this morning and this story is not familiar to you. So whoever you may be, Even if you think you know this story and know it well, I'm going to pray that we would hear it with new ears and that we might see the call to be converted and the hope of being converted, whether hostile or bored in your faith, that your heart might be warmed this morning to the God who shows mercy to sinners. So let's pray that that would be true. And then we'll read God's Word. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to survey the beauties of our salvation in Christ and on His glory dwell to consider the wonders of His grace and of His triumphs tell. Lord, do that in us and we would be grateful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. This is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and who would later be called Paul, the Apostle Paul. Give your attention to God's Word. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying... In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul... He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food... He regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here? to take them as prisoners to the chief priests. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray once again. Lord, may we see and believe the good news that you convert people, you transform people, And you do it by interrupting us as we wander in the wrong way by calling us back to the name of Christ himself. So, Lord, would you interrupt us this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, and by the way, let me say, I don't know if you know this, but our sermons are uh, put on podcast. So if you miss a week, if you're traveling and you want to catch up on something we've covered in our series, uh, or if you've been gone for a couple of weeks, those sermons are available to you, and they're on YouTube too, but I think you probably want to listen to the podcast and not watch on YouTube for obvious reasons. But they're there for you as we work our way through Acts, and as we consider this thing called the church, what it is to be the people of God, and what God says He's doing through His people in the earth. So a few weeks ago, as we looked at the first martyr, Stephen, 
that God calls His church to be persecuted in His name and for His glory. You might remember from Acts 8, 1 through 3, it was actually our reflection this morning, that we have our first reference to the person of Saul. And there it says, after they have stoned Stephen to death, it says that Saul approved of their killing him. Earlier it says that they, lo- they laid their cloaks at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as a leader, he was overseeing this event and showing his pleasure in it. He had helped to authorize the putting to death of Christians. And there in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it continues to say that on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So we're introduced to Saul as one who is seeking to destroy the church. One who despises the name of Christ. One who despises the people of God who are worshiping Christ. Now before we get into the conversion aspect of Paul, I think it's important to understand this Saul of Tarsus and who he was as a man and a person. Saul of Tarsus. Commentators have told me this week that Tarsus was no ordinary place. Tarsus was the place for real study. And not only was Tarsus the place for the greatest learning, but Gamaliel, who we've heard of earlier and elsewhere we learned that he was Saul's instructor. Gamaliel was the teacher of teachers. So Tarsus, the place of the most profound learning, Gamaliel, who was Saul's mentor, instructor to become a Pharisee, he was the teacher of all teachers. And so Saul, as a man, is embedded in everything of pure Judaism, the law of God, trained to be a Pharisee, trained to keep the law, trained to teach the law, And he is a man of ardent faith. He is a man of fervent faith. And the passage essentially says he's an angry man. He is a religious, angry man. And the reason, you need to understand, the reason he is burning with such heat against the Christians, the followers of the way, who are using the name of Jesus as the Messiah... The reason he's so angry is because he sincerely believes that they are blaspheming the one true God. He really thinks he's in the right. He really thinks he's the keeper of the law. He really is self-righteous in that way. He is convinced 
that these people need to be shut down because they're blaspheming the one true God. So that's the context. And the passage that we've read says it in a different way. It actually says, the, the, the words we had, is that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And commentators this week in my reading have suggested that's really a vivid picture of him snorting like a wild animal. He is an angry man. He wants these Christians dead. So that is the degree of the temperature for him. He is hot, he is angry, and he really truly believes that he is right and that he's protecting the truth. That's Saul of Tarsus. Paul, same name, Saul being his Hebrew name, Paul being his Greek name. Paul, he will be called, Paul the Apostle. I'll use both terms, I'm sure, in this sermon. What we have here is the conversion of a man. The interruption and transformation of a man. Now let me tell you where I'm going to conclude, and then you'll see how we're going to get there. The Scriptures say that our only hope, a sinner's only hope, is being converted to faith in Jesus. Meaning that we, by nature, we're holding on to something that we think is right and good and true, and we'll defend that thing, that person, place, or thing. But to be converted to faith in Christ means that we let go of that thing, that person, place, or thing, and take hold of Jesus as He really takes hold of us. So that's the conclusion to our sermon. But how we get there is dramatic this morning. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you almost have to rekindle the drama. You have to feel fresh and new what is really happening here. But the Lord visits Saul of Tarsus in a very personal way. And that's the first thing I want to emphasize with conversion. That it is personal. Conversion is personal. It's not something that somebody else can do for you. Children, it's not something that mom and dad can do for you or that your grandparents can do for you. Conversion is personal. And the Lord Himself comes to Saul using the personal name. Saul, Saul, he says in verse 4. If you want an interesting side study, by the way, those of you who enjoy R.C. Sproul, he has a series where he studies all the double uses of names in the Bible. Whether it's Mary, Mary, or Martha, 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 or Absalom, Absalom, or Joseph, or Abraham. But here, Jesus himself uses Saul's name twice. And Saul, who was studied in the Old Testament, at one point would realize he just had the double use of the name, the emphatic use used on him by the Lord himself. And so the Lord comes to him personally, calls him by name, and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I want to emphasize the word me there. Has Saul been persecuting Jesus? He's been persecuting Christians. 
men and women he has dragged away and thrown into prison. But that's the personal nature of the God that we believe in and that we worship. He is saying here to Saul, when you persecute my people, you are persecuting me personally. And so this God who is so personally, he, he comes to Saul personally. He identifies with those that Saul has persecuted personally. And we learn something about the character and the nature of our God. And that is how intimate and how personal he is. Has your faith been converted in such a way that you see God to be that personal in your own life? Or do you see him as distant? far off, maybe someone you would appeal to for help in a time of crisis with the hope that he might draw near then? Or do you see the God of the Bible as he's revealed himself to us as he truly is? That he calls us by name. He is the protector of his people. He knows everything that touches their lives, that touches their families. So conversion is personal. It's done personally, and you have to know personally the God of the Bible. Do you know him in that way? Or do your parents know him that way? And your grandparents know him that way, but he feels distant to you. The Lord visits his people personally. Secondly, conversion is powerful. Well, that's clear in the text. The Lord Jesus himself visits Saul during the daylight hours and the light is so bright, it's blinding. Now, it's hard to see light during the day beyond the sun, but there's something so powerful, so magnificent about this light that it's bright by day. It's more visible than the daylight. It's burning. Now this God who comes personally to Saul, who comes with power, well, there's some of us that would think that God would use that burning fire, that burning light, to just melt Saul for everything that he's done against the church. For all the persecution of Christians, all the persecutions of these poor people, well, why didn't the Lord use that heat, that light, just to melt Saul and rid the earth of him forever? Does he have the power to do that, to bring instant judgment? Well, surely he does. But again, what we know of the God of the Bible and how he's revealed himself in Scripture is that he comes in mercy. He comes with grace. And he brings his power to transform this man and to make use of this man for the purposes of his kingdom. He comes in power and he interrupts a man's life. He redirects a man who's headed in one direction. He redirects him into a whole new direction with a whole new purpose. Do you know the God of the Bible in this way? Have you been redirected personally and powerfully by the living God. So years ago, I had a student when doing campus ministry who came down to little old Due West, South Carolina 
from the state of Vermont. And some of you in the room, if you went to Erskine, you're going to know this story somewhat. But you're going to learn the backstory now. At this time in my time there at Erskine, I was responsible for the chapel worship service. And the context for the student who came down from Vermont, he was from an unchurched background in Vermont, coming down to the Bible Belt to do West South Carolina, right? So he comes down, and one of my responsibilities was to lead the chapel service, and I had done some audacious things like introduce a confession of sin and an assurance of pardon and always had a minister preach from the Bible. Outrageous things to do in chapel. That's another story, another illustration for another day. And this man who came down from Vermont, from an unchurched background, was a smart, gifted young man. I mean really smart and really gifted. But he decided he didn't like hearing about this Jesus so much in chapel. He didn't like this Bible Belt emphasis on things that he had not had emphasized in his life and in his family. And this very gifted and very smart man was also responsible for the school campus newspaper. And so he decided he would use that newspaper to try to stir up some complaint, to try to create a a movement to complain and shut down this Christian emphasis in chapel. And so this young man, he was difficult for me. Very, very difficult. And I wish I could tell you that I I prayed for him fervently. Perhaps I did. I don't have a specific memory of that. But here's what my specific memory is and the reason for the story. It was in the spring semester that he took the position of being responsible for the paper. And there had been some articles trying to stir complaint. And then he went home for the summer. And right before the semester resumed, probably about this time of year, I got an email from him. And it said this. uh, I've had some changes in my life. I've become a Christian. And I'm sorry for the way that the newspaper worked against the very things that I now believe. And I want you to know, I'm coming back to the campus a different person, and I want to use the student newspaper to encourage the Christian faith on campus. Now, how do you think I received that email? Wrong. (laughs) With suspicion. What is he up to? What's he doing, right? Now, I tell you that story because that's not too unlike what's happening in our passage here. Saul of Tarsus, a brilliant man, a well-trained man, and Jesus comes into his life, converts him through this dramatic event, and now everybody's suspicious of him. Hey, wait a minute. This guy has sought to bring harm to the church We're not just going to trust him. But that's precisely and exactly what was true. Because the Lord had converted Saul, had moved him from darkness to light. And now here I was with a student 
living a similar pattern as modeled in Scripture. And can I tell you, that story goes on and is a beautiful story. That young man would continue to grow in grace. Uh, actually, uh, he was converted through chapel, through one of our preachers who preached in chapel that he had complained about. He was gifted in video, uh, creating videography and such. Um, my last close interaction with him was a few years ago, and he came to use his business to make a free video to promote our campus ministry, to be able to advertise it. And here's what's crazy. He said, yeah, I just flew in. I was making a video for Roger Federer because I now do things for the United States Tennis Association. He's a professional tennis player or was, I'm not sure. And I'm like, you're kidding me. So getting paid tens of thousands of dollars to produce videos. And he's like, well, I'll drive in the due west and do one for you for free. How does a man move from such conflict and hostility to such support and love and appreciation? It's when Jesus converts a heart. The story goes on. His younger sister would come from Vermont to due west, follow his footsteps, she too would become a Christian and profess faith in Christ. And they both now, in Christian marriages, living for the Lord, seeking to honor Him. You see, that's what it is to be converted by the Lord. Not to become convinced of a culture and a way of life, a conservative politic, but to be converted to faith in Jesus to be given a new heart, to be given a new mind. Do you know God in that personal and powerful way? Has He touched upon you, changed the affections of your heart, changed the wrong pursuits of your heart, and won you by wooing you to Himself? That's what it is to be converted. And God alone is the author of it. He does it personally. He does it powerfully. And lastly, He does it purposefully. He does it with a purpose. And that purpose is to repurpose the ones that He converts. He repurposes us according to His kingdom purposes. He transforms our desires... And He works in such a way as to harness our giftedness for His kingdom. In verse 15, He says to Ananias, you're going to lay hands on this man. He'll be able to see again. Ananias speaks those words of fear and says, no, wait, wait, wait. You can't do this because he's been harming your church. And the Lord says, no. This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to be my voice piece to the nations, to kings, to rulers, to my people. Now think of that. The Lord took the one who was hostile in disbelief, the one who had been trained to be a Pharisee in the greatest school and by the greatest teacher. He let that man's life go that course only to redeem him later and say, my chosen instrument for my purposes. That's the powerful purpose and the repurposing that God can do in a life. Do you know what it is for your gifts to be harnessed 
and repurposed for God's glory. Have you seen the connection between your story, who God has made you to be, the gifts He's given you, the talents He's given you, the resources that He's given you? Have you had those harnessed and used for the kingdom? That's what it is to be converted. It's to know that the Lord has has said, you've got gifts, and I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them for the kingdom of God. And then I've got to make comment on this. I don't know if you heard the beauty of it in verse 17 as we read it. But Ananias, who had these suspicions of Saul, just as you and I would, the Lord convinces him, no, this is my chosen instrument, and you will lay hands on him. And when he sees Saul for the first time, the one who's been going from house to house with authority of the high priests and dragging men and women to prison, Ananias opens the door, Saul walks in, and what are the first words that Saul would hear from Ananias? But brother Saul. Brother. He calls him brother. Brother Saul. Suspicion, pushing it aside. The Lord has said, you are my brother, and when I shake your hand, I regard you as a brother. Have you known for conversion to melt your heart of anger towards people in such a way as you can see them as a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, one who belongs to the Lord, and therefore how you regard them must be as family. That's what it is to be converted. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And it's a part of the beauty of the redemption of Scripture. This conversion story is one of several conversions that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. We're going to try to look at a few more between now and September when we will turn the page and change the subject. That's right, you did hear me say that. We will change the subject in September, giving us just a few more weeks in Acts. But there are these key conversion experiences. It started with the Ethiopian eunuch last week. This week, the conversion of Saul and more conversions that Luke will record for us for very strategic purposes. But I'll close with this, this story. And you've heard me tell this before. It's a story from history in the mid-1700s from England with two brilliant, unbelieving men. Two scholars, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West. I told you this story when we considered the resurrection of Jesus And I told you of Gilbert West, who as a scholar was determined to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And his close friend and colleague, Lord Littleton, was determined to disprove the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Together, these two unbelieving men, these two scholars, who mocked the church, thought the church was foolish, they were convinced... Let's use our resources, our minds, our academia. You disprove the resurrection of Jesus. I'll disprove the historical conversion of Saul. And we will prove that it's all just a bunch of myth. It's all legend. It's not believable. And so these two men set off in their personal studies of those two subjects 
And after some length of time, they began to communicate how their study was going. And one said to the other that, um, you know, I am uh, coming to a different conclusion than I thought I would. And the other said, I, uh, I'm having the same experience. And they continued to study. And you can find this online. I printed a seven-page summary of Lord Littleton's what began as an effort to disprove the conversion of Saul of Tarsus concludes as an emphatic faith and belief that Saul was a real man, that his conversion was real and true, and that he could come up with no believable narrative that Saul would swing sides as he did. And he considers, I think it's seven, no, maybe it's 12, 12 possible routes that Saul could have gone. And everyone pushes him to this is real history and real faith in a resurrected Jesus. That's what it is to be converted. For Lord Littleton, it was a long and slow process. For the Apostle Paul, for Saul of Tarsus, it was a blinding and instantaneous light. God does His purposes and His will however He chooses. But my question I conclude with this morning is this. Have you been converted? Have you been converted by a personal God who comes powerfully, maybe instantly, probably through a long, slow process of coming to faith? And then have you been repurposed by Him for your life, your gifts, your resources to be used for kingdom purposes? This is the model that we're given in Scripture for how God works with people, how He converts them. So as we close, here's the real hard question that I press. Have you been converted to that kind of faith? Or like Saul of Tarsus, are you a fervent, zealous, religious, conservative, angry person. Because that's what Saul was. He was angry at all the change happening around him. He's just mad. He's furious. But he believed all the right things except for Jesus as the fulfillment of all those things. You know, across the Bible Belt and throughout the Southeast, it's possible for us to confuse just being conservative, just being serious, fervent, ardent, and angry with being a Christian. But that's not what the Bible says. It's a personal encounter with the powerful Jesus who repurposes us for His kingdom. Let's pray together that that might be true. Lord, that is our prayer. <clears throat> May we not confuse our world and our culture with the living, resurrected, ascended Jesus who loves His church, who protects His people as His own, as a shepherd does His sheep. Lord, may we see the personal power of Jesus. May we know that converting power in our own lives. And Lord, may you push that upon us this week, even this very night, that we would search our hearts to know, have we believed?
Or have we simply watched and listened? Lord, may we believe. Help us in our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.